Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome back to our Letter from Ireland show. And we're now on Series 2, Episode 11. In the show, we like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. Before we start, remember that any resources or references that we mention in the episode, you can find those in the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 211. Well, today, as I chat with you on the show, the sun is finally beginning to peep out and our famous green grass has started to sprout. So we are turning our minds to the seasons and especially to the month of May or as we call it in Irish, Bialtana. This past spring has been all really trying on the farms of Ireland because the animals have been confined to the barns and kept indoors and food has actually been in short supply over the winter. Then our cold winter has been followed by an even wetter spring. This has left our land sodden and both people and animals have feel we all feel like we've been trapped indoors. But just this week, I think we all feel a change in the season. And Bialtana is here heralding the start of summer. In today's show, why don't we take a look at how our ancestors celebrated the start of summer and the month of May? What did the Celts get up to, I wonder? We also have a wonderful letter from Mike's latest book, A Letter from Ireland, Volume 3. And Mike and I go on a special visit to a hill called the Hill of Ishnock in the centre of Ireland. And finally, I'm going to let you in on what it was like for a young girl growing up in the Irish countryside at the start of summer many moons ago. So sit back, relax, and we'll start into today's Letter from Ireland show. Well, as you already might know, we Irish love a party. And what better time to celebrate than at the changing of the seasons? Long ago in Ireland, the Celts celebrated each season with a party or a big festival. Now, this proved to be an inspiration for my husband, Mike Collins, and he decided to write a book with wonderful illustrations on the ancient Celtic festivals. Mike Collins's third volume of A Letter from Ireland explores the Celtic calendar, so it was the perfect accompaniment to our show today. His story is divided into four sections, and each section begins with a significant feast on the Irish Celtic calendar. So I thought, why not open up on the second section of the book and begin with the feast day to mark the turning of the season from spring to summer? Now, this special Celtic feast day to mark the start of summer is called, as I told you before, Bialtana, and it occurs on May 1st. Would you like to know how our ancestors celebrated the arrival of summer? Well, the Celts celebrated the true coming of the light of summer with a festival of fire. So I'd like to read a letter from the Bialtana section of Mike's book, A Letter from Ireland, Volume 3, for you today here on the show. And it's called The First Day of Summer, or as we say in Ireland, Irish Bialtana. Thank you, Mike, for this letter. And here we go, listeners, and I hope you enjoy it. In Ireland, 
The opening of the summer around May Day is a significant festival from the Celtic calendar. We call it Bealtaine, spelt B-E-A-L-T-A-I-N-E, and it is one of the four major festivals in this Celtic calendar, followed by Lunasa, August the 1st, then Samhain, the beginning of November, and Imbolc, February 1st. Ireland has been a pastoral land for thousands of years. Sure, don't we still call our roads boher, meaning cow ways, which makes the opening of summer, Bealtaine, and winter festival, Samhain, the most significant times of the year when it comes to tending to your herd. Bealtaine, historically, was the time of the year when the cattle were driven out to summer pastures. With this great movement of people's livelihood came a whole set of rituals to safeguard the cattle crops and people. There was a tradition of lighting two bonfires at this time of the year and then driving the cattle between the two fires. Now that can't have been easy. In the meantime, all the house fires across the land were put out and relit from these local bonfires. As you might expect, these rituals were accompanied by, accompanied by much feasting and celebrating. It seems that we've always loved the optimism of early summer. Now, Mike continues the letter, and we mention one of our homeland features here. In two weeks' time, we're heading up to County Westmeath for an Irish homelands feature. We'll be tracking down the sites, places, and names of one of our Green Room members, Rob Hepburn as well as looking for his ancestors with the following surnames, Martin, Doyle, Scally and Kenny. Any one of these in your family tree, I wonder? We'll take a trip to a very special place in that ancient kingdom of Maida. The place is called the Hill of Ishnuk. Have you heard of it before? Maybe you've even travelled there. The Hill of Ishnuk is located near the village of Ballymore in Westmeath, and occupies what has been considered the centre of the island of Ireland. Today it's acknowledged as one of the most sacred and historic sites in the world. It's only 600 feet above sea level, but being in the middle of Ireland's central plain, it has a view across 12 or more counties. Before the hill of Tara, Ishnuk was the seat of the High Kings of Ireland. It stood in the middle of the five provinces and became a place where national meetings were held and major agreements reached. Palaces and other living quarters were in use on the hill well into the middle centuries of the first millennium. However, the strong spiritual connection with this part of Ireland was well known right up to the present day. Many major figures through modern Irish history, including Daniel O'Donnell, Podrick Pierce and Eamon de Valera, they all held meetings on the hill down through the years. For the festival of Bealtaine, the hill of Ishnuk has a special significance. It was the location of the first lighting of the fires of Bealtaine. The fire was lit on the summit at the first dawn of the summer and was visible across other hilltop sites, each lighting their fires in turn. And so the darkness before dawn was brought to light with the fires from the hill of Ishnuk, slowly spreading around other hilltop sites in Ireland. Their flames then made their way into the local bonfires we spoke of earlier and into the hearts of the households. And then the first summer light came with the dawn. 
so we're looking forward to visiting Ishnok in two weeks' time, and we'll light a candle at the summit for you to see wherever you are in the world. We wish you a very happy Bealtaine, and may its light of hope and optimism come into the life of you and all of your family. Sloan, Mike Collins. Mike is away with words, and that letter really got me looking forward to our Westmeath visit. And Mike and I did visit a few weeks after the Hill of Ishnuk in Westmeath. When we got there, it was a really sunny, peaceful day. And I knew we'd approach the ceremonial site because there was the big sign for the Hill of Ishnuk, but also right beside it was a huge mound of twigs ready for a nice big bonfire. Now, the Bealtaine Festival had been celebrated a few weeks earlier. So the good thing about that, though, even though we missed the festival, was that we had the hillside to ourselves. And the first thing that struck me about the place was its peacefulness. We walked up the hillside, admiring the surrounding countryside, came to the summit where the birds were singing and the trees were clothed in bright early summer leaf. The summit of Ishnok has a fantastic panoramic view over the central plain of Ireland. It's even said that if you lit a fire on top of this hilltop, it would be seen by a quarter of the land. So you can see it was a great place for a ceremony back in the day. Now the roots of Ishnok lie beyond recorded history, but its surviving monuments and relics, which Mike and I were hoping to see, date from the Neolithic Early Bronze Age to the medieval period. This indicated that human activity spanned some five millennia on this spot where we were standing just under our feet. As we walked around the ancient ceremonial site, we saw the Alnamuran, or the Stone of Divisions, referring to the divisions of the provinces, but it's now called the Cat Stone for a bit of fun, as it resembles a cat about to pounce on a mouse. But, like everything else on this site, this stone like the other features, has huge ceremonial and mythological significance. Underneath the stone, Eru, the earth goddess, who according to legend met the invading Miletians at Ishnok, she's supposed to be buried. Now, she was very famous because she got the Miletian poet to name Era after herself, Eru. Another name given to the huge boulder stone is the Navel of Ireland. So this cat stone is known also as the navel of Ireland. On this ancient hillside also, the sun god Lug is buried, so it's no wonder that the area is regarded as sacred ground. There is a lake on top of the hillside called Loch Lug, and it is said to be the spot where Lug met his end. Now Lug, we spoke about him earlier, you do remember that he commenced the harvest celebration Lunasa Festival, which is held each August. And also the names of both London and Lyon, they have their origins with Lug. His festival is a very important one in the Celtic calendar. Now it's said in ancient times that Ishnuk divided Ireland into, wait for it, and maybe it's not any different today. Let's see what you think. Knowledge in the West, battle in the North, prosperity in the East, music in the South, and royalty at the centre of the land. And looking around, we saw evidence of this. The ring fort known as the palace confirmed Ishnuk's royal connections. There was an archaeological dig here in the 1920s and this ring fort was revealed as one of the palaces of King Tuol Taktmar in the 1st century AD, 
as well, I hope you're listening, as well as the O'Neill and Coleman clans in later years. Now, the O'Neills and the Colemans will want to definitely visit the Hill of Ishnock and see that ring fort or their palace of old. St. Patrick visited here too in the 5th century. Now, he wanted to build a church because he also recognised this as a sacred site, but he was opposed in his mission by the O'Neill clan. He did manage, however, to get a he didn't get his church, but he did get a holy well named in his honour. And Christianity made a further important mark on this hill. In the 12th century, this hill, this spot, was chosen in 1111 as the meeting place for an important synod which divided Ireland into the dioceses that are still known today. Then you had political rallies there with Daniel O'Connell, De Valera, Padraig Pierce. They all recognised it as a great place from which to address the masses and persuade them to their message. James Joyce was a regular visitor, enthralled by Ishnuk's many stories and legends. But back to our own visit to the hill of Ishnuk on that sunny May day. We had planned to light a candle here in this sacred place at the location of the first great fire to be lit in Ireland. And all the fires would have been extinguished in every Irish home and every fireplace in the country until this new flame from Ishnuk was seen and the Biantala festival began. Using the flame from Ishnuk, fires were then lit on the other sacred hills of Ireland, creating a unique fire eye over the Ireland. An annual Biantala gathering and fair at Ishnuk continued until early modern times. And at the fair, neighbours got a chance to come and to chat to each other, oft times after spending a bitter winter indoors. They'd be feasting and dancing, music, tournaments and trade were all avidly partaken as the festival proceeded. And even today, they actually run a festival with lots of fun, dancing, games and jousting here on uh, May the 1st. Maybe you'll get to visit sometime. So we lit our own candle and we remembered the many peoples who had done just that down through the time and we felt the connection that binds us all together. Mike and I, we've done lots of travelling around Ireland but I must say this place stayed with me and even still today I actually think it was a very, very spiritual, special place. It touched and connected us with, I think, something really ancient in our beings. And I know it sounds strange to say, but it's true. And I will someday, hopefully, get back there. Well, listeners, if you do get a chance to visit any of the Bealtaine festivals, and there are many around Ireland, uh, do write in and let us know about it. Remember that girl from the Irish countryside whose memories of Bealtaine I promised you at the start of the show? Well, I'd like to share those memories of my own Irish childhood with you now. I grew up about eight miles from Cork City, and it was a big city then, but where we lived was peaceful countryside, and my first memory is of a giant tree and swinging on a lovely swing that I'd made and attached to this giant horse chestnut tree in the field beside our garden. The horse chestnut was in bloom in May, And it's likened to a tree with candles and its magnificence lingers in my memory to this day. And another memory that comes back to me too is the smell from the hawthorn tree with its full white blossoms. Now we were told stories about this hawthorn tree that lent it a mystical air. 
A single hawthorn tree is regarded as a fairy tree and we were warned not to damage it because that would risk the wrath of the fairies. And during Bealtaine, we all knew that the fairies were especially active. In some parts of the country, even today, you'll come across these white thorn trees and they're all decorated with bright ribbons and red cloths and shells and flowers. These are offered to honour the fairy tree and to invoke the blessings of fertility for land, livestock and human folk. Another and final memory of mine is setting up an altar in our home with jars of bluebells to honour the Virgin Mary. My father's sister, Auntie Anne, always had an altar for the month of May, and so I did the same in our own home. As a little girl growing up in County Cork, these were my impressions of Bealtaine, though I had little idea of the time-honoured traditions, a mixture of both Celtic and Christian that I was following at that time. Do you have any memories like these yourself? If you have, do, you know, Write in and let us know if you have any childhood memories of what the start of summer was like and how you celebrated where you lived. We'd love to hear from you here on the Letter from Ireland show. I certainly enjoyed sharing all those memories with you of our trips and the letter and what it was like being a young girl back in the day. And I hope you enjoyed listening to our series as well. And that brings us now to the end of episode 11 on series 2. And I do hope you've enjoyed the chat on the Celtic Festivals of Bealtaine, hearing Mike's letter from Ireland, Volume 3, and I look forward to having your company again next week. Many thanks to Mike Collins for sharing with us today. And how about you? Do you have any rituals that were connected with summer's arrival in your family over the years? Do let us know. We'd love to hear them. And remember, you can let your comments and check out Mike's work at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 211. And I'd like to leave you in Mike's words from earlier. We wish you a very happy Bealtaine. May its light of hope and optimism come into the life of you and all of your family. Slán. Just before we go, thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called The Green Room. You can find full details of The Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. And remember there, green room is all one word. The Green Room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. It's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. You get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Well, that's it for me. And I'll be back next week with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán Karina. <laughs>